How are we doing, Revolution? Okay, since that was lame, let's try that again. How are we doing, Revolution? A little bit better. All righty. Well, let's dig in. We are going into the Gospel of Mark tonight. So, if you have a Bible, that is where you want to go. If you do not have a Bible, or if the Bible that you have um, just makes no sense to you, uh, the blue books there you are welcome to use, and you are welcome to take with you, New Living Translation. We're looking at Mark 6 tonight, verses 45 through 52, all right? And, and I want to thank Corey Reed for doing an awesome job uh, preaching last week. I heard nothing but incredible things about what he did, and so then I got jealous and started rumors about him. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, and so we are digging into Mark six forty-five through 52. Now, last week, Corey walked you through where Jesus feeds the 5,000, and, and this week we're going to see two more, you know, kind of miraculous things that Jesus does and how they tie together, all right? So let's jump right in. Mark six forty-five through 52. Let's read through it. Immediately after this, this is after he fed the 5,000, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Now, this is, this is a regular thing Jesus does, right? Jesus regularly takes time to himself, for himself, and he goes and he prays to his Father, all right? It is absolutely vitally important as followers of Jesus Christ that you take this time just to be with God and pray to God and never ever see that as a waste of time. That is, in fact, some of the best thing you can ever do for you and for anyone else is to spend time in prayer. If Jesus has the power to heal every broken person around him and he takes time to pray, how much more should you do so, right? Take time to pray. 47, later, late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake. Now, this is several hours to get across this lake, okay? This is not a puddle. This is a serious lake. And Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. The Greek there where it says struggling, actually the, the meaning there is the same thing as someone being tormented by a demon. They, they are really, really struggling against the wind. They are really afraid and they don't feel like they are getting anywhere. About 3 o'clock in the morning, this is how long Jesus has been praying, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. He intended to go past them. We'll come back and talk about that here in a minute, why he would do that. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. And then the Greek there is, I mean, immediately stopped. Not died down. I mean, the moment he set foot in the boat, boom. Still, they were totally amazed. Well, that would do it. For they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. We'll talk about that as well. What is going on there? And after they had crossed the lake, 
they landed at Gennesaret, and they brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once, and they ran throughout the whole area. This is still probably like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, okay? So these are just people. There are a few people getting around to go out and fish, and they recognize him, and they run home and wake up their families because Jesus is there. His reputation is spread. And they ran throughout the whole area carrying sick people on mats to wherever he, 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 they heard he was. And wherever he went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe. If you remember a few weeks ago, that's an act of faith. That's an Old Testament prophecy. That means they believed he was the Messiah because there was a prophecy that if you touched the, the, the fringe of the Messiah's coat, you would be healed. So it's an act of faith, and all who touched him were healed. All right, what's going on here? What's going on here? Now, last week, Corey led you through the fact that Jesus feeds, for the second time in Mark, 5,000 people, right? He just multiplies food out of, out of nowhere. Now he, then he walks on water, and then he heals the sick. Why? Why? Now, I, you know, I teach a class on apologetics... I'm taking a class to get certified in apologetics. I love apologetics. Apologetics is the rational defense of the Christian faith. But there is way too much time spent on trying to justify Jesus' miracle here. If you read like the history of the interpretation of, of these passages, it, it gets really bizarre. Like, I mean, some people who are absolutely convinced miracles cannot happen will have argued that what Jesus was doing is that he was walking on the shore and it was an optical illusion. This is a big lake. It's the middle of the night. There are no optometrists. So when they look across the lake and they see him walking and they freak out, it is not because all 12 of the disciples had supervision. Optical illusion doesn't count. Then some people said, well, he had to be walking on rocks. This is a deep lake. Right? If you saw someone walking across the Ohio River, you would not say... He must be stepping on rocks. Right? That's just stupid. Right? There are no rocks. They're going to go from the bed of the Ohio River up there. And this is a deep lake. So many people have tried to sit here. And the thing about miracles is you need to remember this. See, we live in an age where we elevate science to a point of religion. Don't we? And we say that if it's not scientific, it could not have happened. Here's the problem with that. Science is not geared to measure the miraculous. Science is not a tool that can measure the miraculous. Science, the entire, and I'm not anti-science. I'm not up here, you know, I mean, I can't, I, I, I can't stand people who are like, dim doctors, you know. Praise God for doctors, right? Praise God for nurses and, and lab techs. I'm not, I'm not anti-science. It's just that science is not the tool to measure something like this. Science is designed to measure what can be reproduced again and again and again and again. And a miracle by its very definition is something that does not occur again and again and again. But it's something that happens outside and comes within nature and crashes in. So to say that we can't have miracles because it's not scientific is a little like saying there's no such thing as beauty because I can't weigh it. Right? Because it's not, 
there's, you can't, there's nothing designed to measure that. It doesn't work. And too many people have spent too much time trying to argue about the stuff like this. And they've missed the meaning behind it. And there is a meaning behind it. You need to understand that when Jesus does miracles, he's not just showing off. It's not just, look at what I can do, right? Um, my wife and I lived in Texas in the late 90s. Um, and in the late 90s, there was a show called Mad TV. Anybody remember Mad TV, right? And there was a character on Mad TV named Stuart. You remember Stuart, right? And Stuart, right, he was like this six-foot-five, five-year-old, right, who was always in a diaper, and he was always like, look at what I can do, right? Remember this? Right? And, and, and it got to be such a joke, my wife and I would just, if we'd see somebody showing off, we'd whisper to each other, look at what I can do, right? Because it was like Stuart, right? Okay, miracles are not Jesus going, look at what I can do. That is not what is going on. If Jesus just wanted to show off, would he just walk on water? No, right? Jesus is God. Can he not do better than Superman? Right? If you've seen the old Christopher Reeve movies, if you've seen the terrible thing with Kate Bosworth six years ago, that incredibly boring Superman Returns, right? If you're dreading Man of Steel next summer because you, you're pretty sure it will stink, right? Right? That, that, can Jesus not do better than that? If it was just about showing off, wouldn't Jesus fly like Neo in the Matrix? Right? Wouldn't he just like go to the Roman army and just like whip them single-handedly? And then fly up in there and go, I am God. And everybody go, yes, you are. <laughs> Boom, everybody's saved. Right? It doesn't happen that way. It wasn't supposed to happen that way. The Gospel of John actually goes so far as to say that it calls all of Jesus' miracles signs. Signs, the Greek word for signs, that we interpret signs means that something pointing to a greater truth. So when Jesus does miracles, what he's doing is he's pointing to who he is. And what his mission is. And so, when he's walking on the water, what you need to understand is that that this is deeply, deeply set within the Old Testament. Um, In Job 9, book of Job, chapter 9, verse 8, it says, Only God walks on the waves. So what is Jesus doing when he walks on the waves? He is saying, I am God. Right? He is claiming divinity. He is showing that he is God. And then when he walks on the waves, not only does he do that, but he also says, it is I. And in in Greek, what it is actually saying is, I am I am is what God says to Moses. Moses says, who are you? He says, I am. Again, what is Jesus saying? I am God. And then he walks past them. Now, does this freak anybody out? He sees them. They're in trouble. 
He decides to go help them. He's walking on the water and he walks past them. Why does Jesus walk past them in the boat? How is he helping them by walking around them? Right? Because it is the same language used in the Greek version of the Old Testament when the presence of God passes before Moses and Elijah. It says that it passed before them. It passed by them. So when he passes by them, as the presence did before Moses and Elijah, he is saying, I am God. What he is saying to his disciples who are rowing and panicking is, why are you panicking? I am God. And then because they're not very bright, they continue to panic. And so he's like, oh, I've got to go the extra mile. And so he turns around, he steps on the boat, and it's literally as soon as he steps on the boat, the wind stops. Which is a really, really bold declaration that I am God. And then they get scared. They were scared of the storm. Now they're really scared. Because God is standing there. Now, I have nightmares about waking up and finding an intruder in my home. That would be scary. But, and I don't mean to weigh in on the gun control debate, but I am armed. So if someone you know, invades my home, they better be armed better than I am. Or they lose. Right? But if God invades my home, I lose. Right? He's not going to be scared of my 45. He doesn't care. This is what is truly frightening. God is there. Jesus is telling them, I am God. I am the one you've been waiting for. You have been waiting for the return of God, the presence of God to Israel. You have been praying for it for hundreds of years. I am here. And what they should have done is fall down to their knees and worshipped Him and said, what can we do, God? Not what can we do, teacher. What can we do, master? But what can we do, God? But they didn't. They were afraid. But they didn't worship him as God. They looked at him as a prophet, as a, as a Messiah. And even Messiah to them didn't mean God. Messiah to them mean, meant, oh, you're going to kick the Romans who we hate out. Right? It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Because it's not what God wanted. And here's something that many of us struggle with, myself included. What God wants, God gets because He's God. And we can whine, complain, but He's God. And He's going to get what He wants. And what He wanted here was just to send the message, not just to the disciples, but to everyone throughout history who would read this, I am God. And then he goes to the shore 
And he starts healing people. And he is saying by healing them, I am God. And he's not just saying he is God. He is also showing what kind of God he is. Right? I got into this debate this morning. Um, I was teaching an apologetics class at another church, and, and a lady got up, and she wanted to argue with me about end times theology. I try to avoid any debates about end times theology, right? Usually when you, somebody wants to discuss end times theology, what they mean is you need to listen to me because I have it all figured out. I have a calendar that shows when Jesus is coming back. I know who the Antichrist is, and he knows I know. <laughs> right? I don't like to have those discussions. So I try to end those discussions as quickly as I can. Because here's what I believe the Bible teaches. What I believe the Bible teaches is Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, he is not going to say, shh, everybody who believes in me, let's go. They won't know anything till morning. <laughs> right? Rapture theology. Let's get out of here. Right? We're all going to disappear. Even people driving cars, which turn the cars into missiles. <laughs> right? Right? Somehow they think, and here's, if you read the book, somehow people are mystified by what has happened. All they have to do is look at the bumper stickers that say, in case of rapture, this car will have no driver. Right? Is it really that much of a mystery? They're gone. All the Christians are gone. What happened? I don't know. That Kirk Cameron movie said this would happen. <laughs> oh! I knew I should have watched Growing Pains. I believe Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, there's not going to be any second chance. There's not going to be any secret evacuation. It's going to be, here I am. Those who are with me, to the right. Those who aren't, to the left. And we're done. And then what, I'm go and then what Jesus is going to do is this. He's going to say, here's what's going to happen. The people who didn't want to have anything to do with me, they get what they want for eternity. The people who wanted me, they get what they want for eternity. And then, I am going to throw all evil away, all suffering away, all sickness away, just as he did when he landed on the other side of the lake. And then he's going to say, I'm going to take all evil and I'm going to cast it away. And here's what you need to understand. Here's the reason why he walked on the water. Hebrews believe the water symbolized chaos and evil. And so when God walks on the water, he's saying, this is nothing. I will trample it under my feet. And he does. And he casts it away. And then, just as Corey told us last week, he throws a party and he feeds everybody. Right? We all sit down and we eat. And so begins eternity. Here, on earth, with eternal physical bodies. This is what happens. And this is why Jesus is doing what he's doing. He is showing them, I am God, and here's the kind of God I am. I am the kind of God that throws all evil away, 
that wipes away every tear and every disease, who feeds everybody and is with them for eternity. That's the kind of God He is. But the problem is this. Like the disciples, we have hard hearts. And we don't want to look at those miracles and see them that way. We want to look at the miracles as what they will do for us. How many of you have seen this? I've walked through Christian bookstores. It is a great test of my faith. I do not have the sinlessness to do it. If I did, I would start going all Jesus with the money changers in the Christian bookstore and start tossing Thomas Kincaid paintings out the door. Because I go in and I see book titles like, If you want to walk on the water, just step out of the boat. Lord, help us. (laughs) Only God walks on the waves. There's a reason why Peter gets up and he says, Call me and I'll come to you. And Jesus is like, Oh boy, okay. Come on. And he steps out. And Jesus is like, "Uh Uh-huh, how you doing? Good. And he takes one or two steps and then he starts to sink. And he's like, I'm not doing so good. And Jesus is like, yeah, no joke. And he picks him up and he puts him in the boat and he says, you have little faith. And we have always thought, and how many preachers have said, his faith was that he did not believe Jesus would keep him on the water. His lack of faith was not that. His lack of faith was that he did not see. That's God. I'm not. I shouldn't try to walk on the water. I need to bow down in the boat and worship the one who is walking on the water. And that is his lack of faith. Only God walks on the water. And what we tend to do is we want to take Jesus and we want to turn him into our own God. As one writer said, God made us in his image and likeness and we have been returning the favor ever since. Trying to turn God into our image and likeness. So we can control him and get what we want. Right? That's what we want. We want a God who does not say, you're going to suffer until I return. We want a God who says, I'm going to bless you with kingdom promises until I return. Right? We don't want a God who says, it doesn't matter what you look like, how much money you have, it matters how faithful you are. We want a God who says, I'm going to make you look good and give you lots of cash. Right? We're not recognizing Jesus as God. We're turning him into... What's the genie's name? Aladdin? If I pray the right way, he'll just rain blessings down on me. That's not what he promises to do. Right? This is our problem. Our problem is, as a church, as a people, that we do not recognize Jesus as God. Worship him as God. Follow him as God. Say, wherever you go, I will go. That if you call me to suffer, I will suffer. That if you call me to die, I will die. Because what happens in this life is nothing compared to what you have done for me and promised me in the next one, and I will do it. And so... We want to walk on the waves. Don't we? Right? 
But that's not how it works. I wish, too, I'm just as much of a sinner. I wish Jesus would just grant me my wishes. I wish that I could figure out the secret formula to where God would just give me whatever I want. That would be awesome. I would begin by asking for a DeLorean with a flux capacitor to send me back in the past to put an end to all terrible bands. I would make a movie out of it. It would be called Nickelback to the Future. And you would all thank me. But it's not how that works. Is Jesus your God? Jesus, you may look at Jesus as your get-out-of-hell-free card. You may look at Jesus all kinds of ways, but is he your God? Is he your king? Is he your Lord? Here's how you test it. Ask yourself this honestly. If Jesus showed up to you tonight, if he appeared before you like he appeared to the Apostle Paul, and he said, I want you to go to Iran and plant an underground church. You're going to convert exactly zero people. And you will die in an Iranian prison. But doing so, you will serve me. Will you go, praise God, or will you go, wait a minute, let's talk about this. I would go, are you sure? If Jesus said, other side of the spectrum, if Jesus said, I will give you heaven, but in order for you to get heaven, I will go to hell for eternity, would you go to heaven without Jesus? Do you want just heaven? Or do you want to be with Jesus? Would you say, if you're going to hell, I'm coming too. Because I just want to be with you. If not, is he your God? Or are you God of hell free card? Which one? Right? I was reading this week about a uh, missionary named Tapan. I don't know if who, probably most people in the world have never heard the name Tapan. Tapan was a missionary in a Muslim country. And he was there for a year. And six months in, as he walked past a Muslim school, a little boy came out and said, if you don't stop doing what you're doing, we're going to kill you. My daddy's going to kill you. And all of Tapan had been doing is having a Bible study in his home and maybe one or two people would show up. After six months, maybe one or two people would show up and he would have the Bible study and he would pass out copies of the Jesus film. Have you seen the Jesus film? I've seen it. I frankly thought it was lame. I don't, I don't particularly like the Jesus film. But for whatever reason, God was using it and people were watching it and they were asking Tapan questions. A couple, just a handful... And his friend said, Tapan, they're going to kill you. Maybe you need to just take it easy for a while. And he said to him, he looked at him and he said, 
if I die, it's what God wants, and if that's what God wants, and that's what brings him honor and glory, so be it. A few months go by. And one night, this missionary hears screaming. He hears to Pan screaming. He hears to Pan screaming Jesus' name. And he hears people yelling in Arabic, deny him, deny him, deny him. And Tapan keeps screaming Jesus' name. They were hacking him to death. Seven Muslim men broke into his house and they began hacking him to death with a machete. And he refused to deny Jesus. Could you do that? Could you? Do you know why Tapan could do that? Because he worships the God who walks on the water. That's why. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the freedom, the ability to come together to study your word and to worship you. We thank you that when you came, you were merciful enough to recognize our brokenness, our fallenness, our stupidity. And you were so patient with us. You give us sign after sign after sign. And you put up with us even when we, we do foolish things, like think it's all about us. When we read about you feeding 5,000, walking on the water, healing the sick, somehow twisting Scripture. Thanks, Caleb. And... <laughs> And Caleb has to make it all about him. And (laughs) I love you. We thank you that you have been so merciful with us. And that you give us chance after chance after chance to come to you. And we ask tonight that there's anyone here, like myself, who tends to put themselves at the center of the universe and not you, that that will change. And we ask now that we stand up and worship, that we will truly worship, that we will look beyond ourselves and look to you as God, as the one who walks on the water, as the only one who walks on the water, as the only one who can trample chaos and evil under their feet. In Jesus' name, amen.